Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. We are going to start uh, to pull back the curtain. Uh, God is going to pull back the curtain as we go through this book for the big reveal. Okay, and and it's interesting because several images came to my mind as I was as I was thinking about. I, I thought about the prices right when I was a kid, and and you know they say if you sink this golf putt, you get, and then a, a curtain would roll away and be like a, a toaster oven, right? This is better than a toaster oven. All right, Revelation chapter one, page ten twenty eight in the Red Bible, verse one through eleven. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that you, by your grace, through your word, pull back the curtain to show us truths and realities that are invisible to our naked eye, but that are wonderful and that are important for how we live this side of the curtain. And so God, pray that you would uh, not only help us understand these things intellectually, Lord, but that we would take them to heart 
and it would change and transform the way that we live in this world to reveal Jesus to others. And we pray this in his name, amen. And so the book of Revelation is a big reveal. It's showing us something that is important to us, important to how we live our life and where we place our hope. And so there's three questions I wanna ask about this big reveal. The first question is, who is the revealer of this big reveal? As we're diving into this book, just starting this book, it's really important who the author is of a certain book because the author gives credibility to that book. For example, if I were to write a book on ballet dancing and you saw out in the atrium, you may say, that is not a very credible source, right? And you would be very true on that, right? In the same way with the book of Revelation, as we read through it, as you're probably familiar with, there's a lot of crazy stuff in there. And, and so, so we need to know, is this thing reliable? I, I mean, if this, if this book, I mean, not to be, but if this book was written by Snoop Dogg, like we would probably read it and be like, yeah, he had too much of something before he wrote this thing, right? And so the question is, why is there credibility? Why can we take this book with authority and apply it to our life? Because there's a lot of crazy stuff in here, and all of it are things that we don't see for the most part. And so we need to ask this question, who is the revealer or the author of the book of Revelation? By the way, there's no S on the end of it, it's just Revelation. And so who would you say is the author of the book of Revelation? Don't, don't answer, I don't want to embarrass you. It's a trick question. Uh, there's actually four authors of the book of Revelation. There's a primary, secondary, a third, and a fourth, and finally it goes to the audience. And we see that here in verse one. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that is, it comes from Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave him, Jesus, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He, Jesus, made it known by sending his Angel, an angel literally means a messenger, a messenger from God. He sent his angel to his servant, John. And so if I were to put this into a word picture, it would look something like this, that the revealer of the book of Revelation is God the Father to God the Son to an angelic messenger to the apostle John who then writes it to the church. And so what John is communicating to us is that this is a divine revelation, right? And, and, and I don't know if you ever played that game of telephone where, uh, where, where you know, you get in a group of people and you whisper something, they whisper next year, next year, next year, and then it gets to the very end and you all laugh because it's so different uh, than, than the original message that was given, right? And so the question is, how do we know that the message doesn't get lost in translation here? Well, uh, God the Father is God. He is perfect. He is holy. Uh, he is, he's, he's, Without error, so is God the Son. Angels are heavenly beings that have, have, have been given commission to pass these things on. And then you have the Apostle John. And the Apostle John doesn't share this with, with a guy who shares it with a guy who shares it with a guy who writes it down. The Apostle John writes it down himself. And the important thing to understand is that the apostles were commissioned by Jesus to write scripture. They were given the authority to write the word of God. That's why they are called the foundation uh, of the church because of their teaching, because they are writing the scriptures. And so 2 Peter 1 puts it this way. 
It says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we can, we can have um, confidence in the reliability of this revelation because the first two revealers were divine, the third was angelic and heavenly, and the final revealer of this was an apostle commissioned by Jesus to write the scriptures. And so here's why it is such a big deal. If what is revealed in this book, if the spiritual realm that is being described behind the curtain is true, and it has to be true, if it is true, it will transform the way we look at the world this side of the curtain. It will change what we live for this side of the curtain. If, if everything behind the curtain that is written in the book of Revelation is true, it will shape the way we parent. It will shape the way we work. It will shape the way we talk to other people. It will shape our politics. It will shape our passions. But only if what behind the curtain is true. You know, one of, the, um, one of the things that Oprah, and I'm not uh, telling you go watch Oprah, but anyways, that's another story. But, but one of the things that Oprah was so famous for uh, was giving things away to her audience. Maybe you, are, maybe you remember that. Um, she always had usually more than 200, like 250 people in the audience. And one time she gave away a trip to Disney, which included airfare and Another time, she gave uh, everyone a trip to Australia, which is pretty amazing. Uh, her most famous giveaway, uh, which you've maybe seen, is when she says, you get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car. And she gave a car away uh, to everyone in the audience. In each of these episodes, uh, when she would do this big reveal of this gift that they were given, they were, they, they would, their, their heart, their demeanor would change with excitement and joy. And they believed her because it was credible, because she had done this before. In the book of Revelation, as we will see, God promises us something far greater than a trip to Disney or Australia or a new car. And because we can trust the reliability of the author and the revealer of this book, our hearts must overflow with joy, must overflow with delight and comfort. And we know that these things will come true. Uh, because of the divine and apostolic authority that verse 3 says here in verse 3. It says, um, because, because of the, the reliability, of this, verse 3 says this, Blessed or happy is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Yea for me. Uh, blessed are those who hear. Yea for you. And blessed are those who keep what is written in it for the time is near. I like how the NIV translates this. It says, those who take to heart what is written in it. And so what is written in this book is not merely uh, to fill us with arguments to fight within the church about when Jesus is coming back or how it's all going to unfold. Primarily, it is given to us to bless us, to make us happy in Jesus. And so who is the revealer of the big reveal? Well, God the Father, to God the Son, to the angel, to the apostle John. The second question that we want to look at here is who are the recipients of the big reveal? Skip down to verse 9 through 11. We'll come back to verse 4 later. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, I, John, your brother and 
partner. This word partner uh, means co-participant, and that's very important in understanding the recipients and the situation of the recipients of the book of Revelation. So he says, I, John, your brother and partner or co-participant in the tribulation, that is in afflictions, in anguish, in persecution, and then the good news here, and the kingdom. And so John is telling us that he and the recipients are simultaneously in two kingdoms. They are in a kingdom of tribulation and affliction, but they are also in the great kingdom of God. He continues and he says, and the patient endurance or long-suffering that are in Jesus. And so John is acknowledging that living in a fallen world, living in a world where you are being persecuted for the faith is hard. It is difficult. It takes patient endurance and long-suffering that can only be given to you in Jesus. And then he goes on to share about his own story a little bit, his own tribulation. He says, John was, was on the island of Patmos. Why? On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Uh, Patmos was a, is, is still a tiny island on the Aegean Sea. It's about 13 square miles. Uh, some think that it was a penal settlement where Romans would send away the criminals. Uh, maybe the best modern day equivalent of that could be Alcatraz, although I think today maybe it's just a tourist attraction. I don't know. Is that right? Is it just a Tourist attraction, yeah. So, but, but that would be a picture of what it was here. It was a, a place where they would send prisoners. And we're told here why John was sent there. He says it was on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You see, in that day in Rome, uh, it was proclaimed that Caesar is Lord. But the Christians were coming in and they were saying, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the Lord of Lords. And Jesus is the only Lord God. And so, um, and so the Romans didn't like that very much. And so tradition tells us that John the Apostle for preaching Jesus uh, was actually taken and to be boiled alive. Uh, that didn't work, and so they gave him poison, and that didn't work. And so what do you do with a guy who won't die? They put him out on an island. And God preserves his life so that he can write to us the big reveal of Revelation. Now you can imagine... Uh, you can imagine how hard this would have been for John. Could you imagine how hard it would be for you? If for preaching and teaching about Jesus, you're sent away to a desolate place. But this was not only John's experience. It was also the experience of those he was writing to. Remember, he says to them that they are co-participants in this persecution. You know, in the book of Acts, most of the persecution came from the Jews, but now the persecution was coming from the Roman Empire. The persecution really intensified from the Roman Empire in 64 AD when a fire was set in Rome. And Nero, who many suspect said it himself, actually accused the Christians of setting that fire. And because of the death and destruction, he almost uh, endorsed the persecution of Christians. And so historian Philip Schaefer says this. He says, there began a carnival of blood. Not a pretty picture. A carnival of blood such as even heathen Rome never saw before or since. A vast multitude of Christians were put to death in the most shocking manner. Some Christians were crucified, some sewn up in animal skins and thrown to the dogs, some covered in pitch, nailed to wooden posts, and burned as torches. In 70 AD, Paul, Peter, and Timothy 
were all publicly executed. I, I mean, these were the leaders in the church. It, it would, to put it in today's language, I mean, maybe some people you know, if, if Tim Keller and John Piper and Franklin Graham were led out by authorities into the street and killed, that's, that's what was going on here. This is a severe persecution that is going on that John is writing to these people who are enduring these severe persecution. And even if it's not that severe in terms of death, they are often ostracized and left on the fringes of poverty because they were outcasts. You know, persecution like this still exists around the world today, in the Middle East, in China, and in other places. But we have to be very careful when we talk about being persecuted here. Uh, it, it's true that a lot of our preferences uh, get pushed against, and we don't like that. Uh, but we have to be very careful uh, to, to not equate personal preferences with Christian persecution. And the reason why I say that is because I think we need to keep things in perspective. Persecution is when you are proclaiming Christ, teaching the word of God, not according to your preferences. And preferences are important, but it's not the same as persecution. And so here's the point. John is writing to struggling Christians, going through real suffering for their allegiance to Jesus. He continues in verse 10. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That would be Sunday. It's the New Testament Sabbath, the day of Christ's resurrection. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice, the voice of the angel we're told up in verse one, like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Per Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And so here you see a map. Uh, and you see in the bottom left the island of Patmos. That's where John was exiled to. That's where he was writing for, from. And here you see the seven churches, what, which is in modern-day Turkey, which is northwest of Jerusalem by quite a distance. And if you notice here, something that's interesting is all these churches are fairly evenly spaced out, um, almost as if John was trying to uh, cover all the, the, the counties or the postal codes of, of Turkey. Um, and so he is writing uh, to these seven churches, okay? But, but he is not only writing to these seven churches, he's writing to more than these seven churches. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, really the Bible as a whole, numbers have very symbolic meaning. Uh, the number seven is a number of wholeness or completion or totality. It starts back in Genesis chapter one with the seven days of creation. It is completeness. And so even as John is writing to seven literal churches, uh, he is also writing to the church as a whole. Now, as we read this, um, we also have to be mindful, and, and Pastor Matt Chandler points this out, which I appreciate, is that while the book of Revelation is written for us, uh, it is not written to us, okay? While it's written for us, it's not written to us. So for example, when I do a wedding, there will be a bride and groom, and I will give a message, and the message is to the bride and groom. It's for everyone, but it's to the bride and groom. And the reason why I think that is so important is because uh, many people uh, try to, uh, try to um, I'll say this, many people assume uh, that the book of Revelation was written to 21st century Americans. And so they will take things that are in the book of Revelation and, and forget about the original audience and apply it 
to our lives today that is really unfaithful to the original recipients of, of the word. And so we have to be very careful. We're not going to get into a lot of the controversy of Revelation, but we have to be careful in how we apply the book of Revelation and make sure that we are not being ethnocentric uh, in how we apply it. Um, and so, so, so it is written for us, but not to us. Okay, so just to recap, who's the revealer of the big reveal? Well, it's God the Father to God the Son to an angelic messenger to the Apostle John who writes to the church. And, and who are the recipients of the big reveal? Well, it is written to the seven churches in Turkey, but it's also written for us, the church today. Finally, the best part. Who is the revealed of the big reveal? This is in verses four through eight. You can look there with me. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, talking about God, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, most commentators agree that the seven spirits is simply talking about the wholeness or completion, because that number seven, of the Holy Spirit, okay? And then verse five, it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, now, something very interesting about verse 4 and 5 is really the order in which John, led by the Holy Spirit, lists out the Trinity. Normally, we list out the Trinity and we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you look here, he says Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. And the reason why he is doing this is because Jesus is the crescendo. Jesus is the crescendo of the book. Jesus is the point of this book. Jesus is the one being revealed in this book. If you read through the book of Revelation and you don't see the revealing of Jesus, you are reading it wrong. We see hints of this earlier in the passage. Verse 1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is both the revealer and the revealed. Verse 2, John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is, the point of this book is to testify about Jesus, to reveal the glory of Jesus, to pull back the curtain so that even in the midst of our trials, we can have great confidence that Christ is triumphant, that Christ is reigning even when life is hard. We read on in verse 5 through 8, and, and he's revealing He's revealing Jesus to us. And there's a lot here, so we'll try to get through quickly. Verse 5, he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. You probably know this, but Christ is actually not Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is his divine title as the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has been promised uh, from ages ago, from Genesis chapter 3 on. And it also says that Jesus is the faithful witness. And this Jesus testified about the character of God and the good news of God, not only in what he said, but how he lived his life perfectly. If you remember, he said to Thomas, if you have known me, you have known my father also. And so Jesus testified to the glory of God, not just with his words, but also with his actions perfectly. Continues and says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Now, what is interesting about this statement is if you read through the Bible, you'll find out there was quite a few people who were raised from the dead before Jesus was. I think it's something like six different people were raised from the dead before Jesus was. But why does John here call Jesus the firstborn or the first begotten of the dead? Well, I think there's two major reasons. The first reason is this, is that all the people before Jesus who were raised from the dead died again. 
And so their resurrection was temporary. But the second reason is because Jesus is also called the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, which means that our resurrection is contingent and dependent on his resurrection because he has raised from the dead. We raise with him as well as those who trust in Christ. And so Jesus is the firstborn of many who have been raised from the dead. It continues. The revelation, the revealing of Jesus. It says, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now you might imagine how this might have uh, been received by the original audience who were being persecuted by the Romans. I'm guessing there might have been skepticism. They might have said, I, I, don't, I don't see how God is in charge of this Roman government. It is awful to us. It is persecuting us. It is killing us. And yet he is claiming behind the curtain. As we look into the spiritual realm, the truth is, is that Jesus is in control. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he said something very similar. He said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And so we are called to believe that the ultimate authority over all political authorities in our world is Jesus. None of the elections take God by surprise. God is orchestrating all things for his glory. John continues to reveal more about the wonders of Jesus and he starts to get a little bit more personal. You can see he's feeling overwhelmed by the glory of Christ and he breaks out into this doxology. Verse five, he says, to him, to Jesus who loves us. This is an agape love, an unconditional love. This is a pretty amazing thing for John to say because as we read through the seven churches, the description of them is not very flattering a lot of the time. A lot of times it says that they have abandoned their love for Jesus. They've accepted false teachings. They've been idolaters, sexually immoral, lukewarm in their affections. They are wretched, pitiable, poor, and blind. This is how the Bible describes people in the church in Revelation. And yet here we see John writes these wonderful words that Jesus loves us. You know, I, I, I've shared this with you before, but my kids and I would have this liturgy before bedtime. And I would say, who loves you? Uh, or, 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 no, I'd say, I messed up. I'd say, I'd ask the kids, how much do I love you? And they'd say a lot. And I'd say, a little bit a lot or a lot a lot? They'd say a lot a lot. And I would say, who loves you more, me or God? And they'd say, God loves me more. And I would respond, man, that's hard to imagine. Because as much as I love my kids, it's hard to imagine that God loves them more. But what's even more hard to imagine is that God loves me more than I love my own children. Because whether I'd like to admit it or not, I am a lot like those descriptions of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Yet here is this great news, that God has agape love for his struggling, weary, suffering saints. Verse 5 continues, and I need to speed it up, sorry. Uh, it says, to him who loves us and who freed us from our own sins by his blood. If you doubt the love of Jesus for you, just consider his blood. By his blood, he double freed you. He freed you from the penalty of sin by paying for it on the cross, but also the power of sin that you might live free and for the glory of of God. Verse 6 continues and it says, and he made us, his church, a kingdom, priest to his God and 
Father. This is a reminder that our primary citizenship is in heaven. It is with God. It's not as Americans or Canadians or Mexicans. Our primary identity is with God. We are citizens of heaven. And the glorious thing about this citizenship is that it infiltrates all other citizenships. It's a kingdom that infiltrates all other kingdoms for the glory of God. He continues and he says, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is his confident assertion of how this is going to end. And then he says, amen, which means truly or let it be. Then verse seven, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen, or let it be so. And so what John is telling us is that behind the curtain, uh, Jesus stands, but Jesus is going to come through the curtain. He's going to come into reality. He will be visible and touchable. And those who have denied him as Lord and Savior will wail at his appearance. You know, I was trying to think of how to illustrate this, and it might seem like a silly illustration, but as a kid, I remember watching a a show about a guy named Bruce, and Bruce was just a very ordinary, uh, plain man, And, and for some reason, Bruce always ended up in really horrible situations where he was being bullied or someone he loved was being bullied or, or someone who was vulnerable being bullied. He ended up in that like every other week, which is amazing. But, but every time that would happen, he would try to talk the bully down. Uh, he tried to reason with the bully, but the bully would have none of it. And then finally, what was invisible would become visible. And Dr. Bruce Banner would transform into the Incredible Hulk. And the enemies would start to wail because they knew judgment was coming upon them. In the same way, Christ will return. Christ came the first time, very ordinary, very plain looking person. But when he comes back, there will be nothing plain about Jesus, nothing ordinary about Jesus. He will be extraordinary. And those who have stood as enemies of Christ will wail for there is a justice coming that will overwhelm them. Let me end with this. A um, couple months ago, a foundation contacted me via email, and I thought it was uh, just junk mail, because um, it usually is. But they contacted me, and they were asking if I knew any, anyone in the community of Green Bay or in Brown County uh, who was serving Christ faithfully and would be blessed by some monetary gifts. And so um, I passed it on to David Gallagher, and, and David followed up, and it was legitimate. They were looking to bless someone, so we nominated someone uh, in Brown County, and, and uh, they selected that person, and so David uh, did a lot of hard work to find out how those people could be blessed uh, for their faithful service to the Lord, and so this past Tuesday, uh, me and David met with this foundation and this couple, and, uh, and, and there was this big reveal. Uh, there was this big reveal when, where we got to share with them why we were so thankful for how God has used them in this community. But then they started to reveal how they wanted to bless this couple. They wanted to bless them with a gift card to their favorite restaurant. They wanted to bless them with some money to fix their car. They wanted to bless them some money to go on a vacation that they often cannot afford. They wanted to bless them to redo parts of their house that were massively outdated. And then the blessing stopped. And the couple was just overwhelmed with gratitude, but also just simply didn't know how to respond. Christians, the day is coming 
when the curtain will be pulled back, Jesus will step forth and he will not only judge the wicked, he will pour out his blessings upon his people without end. Without end. And the greatest of those blessings is himself. And so Christian, if you're here today, weak and weary, suffering and sad, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Because as 1 Timothy 6 tells us, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, steadfast, steadfastness, gentleness, and fight the good fight because our conquering king is coming back. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful. Uh, we are finite. We are human. We, we, we cannot know what is above, what is behind the curtain, but you by your grace have shown us of the spiritual realities that, that, that the war is not in jeopardy, that you will reign victorious and we will receive your blessing forever and for always. And so, Lord, as we live in this vapor of life, God, pray that you would give us patient endurance with our eyes set on that which is unseeable, that we might hope and rest and rejoice in the coming of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.